Amen. Good morning, church. Let's uh, continue in worship on this uh, beautiful weekend by turning in our Bibles to the book of Luke. We are going to be in chapter 10, uh, verses 25 to 37 this morning. We are continuing our series on the parables, and um, uh, this week we are talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, before uh, I start that, I just, I guess, uh, uh, Lincoln and Emily both just took off for their class, but I just want to say uh, that's a big deal what we just witnessed, and we're just so proud of them uh, for being bold in their faith. And I also just want to say, I just kind of hit me as I, I was thinking about this passage. Uh, right before this passage, if you're in Luke chapter 10, you see in verse 21, uh, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So um, if you're this morning witnessing those baptisms and thinking, eh, they're just kids, what do they know? Wait till the real world hits them. Well, actually, <laughs> maybe God has hidden it from you and he's shown it to them. <laughs> so uh, maybe uh, uh, you have a lot to learn uh, from those kids uh, who say, I want to follow Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need a savior. And that is uh, exactly the gospel. And so uh, may we approach God with as wise an understanding as we are. And then, uh, so in the book of Luke, it follows up that story with a, a story, there, follows up that passage with a story of a lawyer who thinks he's pretty wise and understanding and show, shows us that he really isn't. And so may we not be that way, uh, thinking that we are wise and understanding. Uh, and instead, may we receive the gospel uh, like uh, little children. Amen? Amen. Well, we have a lot to get to this morning, um, so I am going to read this parable in its entirety, and then we will pray and begin. So look there with me, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, um, what a convicting passage this morning of scripture. Um, Some hard truths for us to swallow. And yet there's so much grace in it, God. So, Lord, I just thank you um, that you promise that your word does not return void and that by your spirit, you, uh, your word pierces our hearts deeper than any two-edged sword. And so I pray that you would do that this morning, not with my words of wisdom, but by your power, God, and may we receive the truth uh, like children, humbly and simply and trusting you as our Father, God. Um, We thank you. Um, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, i got to be honest, uh, church, as I was kind of laying out our series on Jesus and the kingdom of God, which we're now entering, it's like February, March, April, May, like entering our sixth month on this series now. I was thinking about the parables. I thought, well, um, this will kind of be a little bit of an easier section, you know, once we get to the parables, you're going into the summer and kind of just, you know, talk about the parables. And um, it has been, for me at least, uh, anything but that. Um, first of all, uh, I have been feeling just a ton of conviction as I've read these parables. And I think one of the features of the parables that I didn't really realize before studying them uh, as in-depth as I have for this series is that we're intended to look at different characters in the parables and, and say, how could you do that? And then say, how could you not do that <laughs> at the same time, right? So think about this. We've talked about this before a lot with the parable of the unforgiving servant, which we haven't preached, uh, but uh, we've talked about it in the past, right? That the servant who's forgiven this incredible debt, and then he goes and demands just a smaller debt to be paid immediately after. We look at him, say, how could you do that? And then we look at our hearts and be like, oh, <laughs> I do that all the time, right? Or the, um, the parable that Pastor David preached on with the, the people who went out into the field, and they were hired for a good day's wage, and they they worked their day's wage, and then other people were uh, brought in later, and they were paid the same wage, and so the people who were hired at the beginning, what do they do? They grumble and complain, and you think, come on, don't grumble and complain, and then you think, oh, in my heart, I grumble and complain all the time, right? Or the parable of the prodigal son. We saw the older son who's so mad at his brother coming home, we say, come on, man, how could you be so upset about your brother coming home? And then we think, oh, that's my heart all the time, and guess what, church? It's the same thing this morning as we look at the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan, Uh, and we just read it, right, and we saw the priest and the Levites walking by on the other side of the road, and we think, uh, oh my goodness, how could they do that? And then we think, oh my goodness, how could I do that all the time? So we're going to be convicted this morning. If you don't want to be convicted, uh, now's the good time to pretend you have an important phone call or something and head out, but I was super convicted this week, so we're going to be convicted on that. And then there's another reason why uh, I've just really struggled um, in preaching the parables and, and studying the parables, and that is because I have thought about the parables, I realized this uh, a couple weeks ago, I've thought about the parables all wrong uh, for my whole life, and, um, and that's a problem when you're trying to preach, right? So uh, I'm working on this. Um, I, had, I don't know about you, 
I'd always thought about the parables kind of like as Jesus's sermon illustrations, right? So I give sermon illustrations all the time. It's kind of part of my job. And when I give a sermon illustration, I'm like making a point, and then I have an illustration to illustrate that point. And so it's supposed to like make that point clear for the people who hear it. And I just thought that's what Jesus is doing with the parables. I never thought anything different, that Jesus is trying to make a point, and so he tells a story to illustrate that point. But that is actually not what we have with the parables. We have something actually much bigger than that. Uh, Several years ago, someone in our church uh, gave me the book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And I can't remember who it was. I have like three guesses. Um, So, but if it's you, thank you. It's really helped me as I've studied the parables. Um, Remind me if it was you after the sermon, if you're here. Um, But uh, it says this about the parables, and this has been like, category changing for me. So I want want to read this to you. It says, a parable is an extended metaphor, and as such, it's kind of, follow me with this, as such, as an extended metaphor, it is not a delivery system for an idea, so not that just one point illustration about it. It's not a delivery system for an idea, but a house in which the reader slash listener is invited to take up residence. Okay, does that, maybe that's a little bit confusing. I had to read that about four times before I started to understand. The parables aren't just like a point, it's a, it's a house. Meaning we're supposed to walk around and think about each element here and think about what does it mean to live in this world of the parables. The whole series is called Jesus and the kingdom of God, talking about what does God's kingdom look like on earth. A million years ago, we preached on the Lord's Prayer, right? Your, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about that's the whole, the Bible is moving towards that right there when heaven and earth are reunited. And the parables are actually giving us a picture of that happening, of heaven and earth becoming one. And so it's not just supposed to be one point. Um, And we ran into this last week with the prodigal son, didn't we? The idea of what I had always just thought about the parable of the prodigal son as, yeah, it's it's about God's mercy. When you wander away, he'll always be there when you come home. And like, that's true, but it's, it's not the whole picture, is it? And we can't just say what the whole thing is in one sentence because there's so many layers to it that continue to unfold. And maybe even as you've thought about it and studied it more this week on your own, you've seen kind of more of those layers unfold as you camped out in that house. And all of this is maybe just me compensating for feeling like my sermon is inadequate this morning. But what I'm doing as we start here is I just want to say, like, I'm just inviting us. It's Memorial Day weekend, right? So we've been, some of you've been camping. Some of you walked in, you smell like campfire this morning, and that's great. I'm so glad you, uh, you came to church. You know, you didn't, you didn't need to shower before you came here. You just show up. You're always welcome. Come as you are uh, to Rock Prairie, right? So we've been camping this morning. So what I want us to do, is, or this weekend, so what I want us to do is camp right here in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want you uh, to think about what we say this morning, but I want you to study it this week. I want you to read it. I want you to kind of test the different things and just think, what does this mean for me to live in this world? that Jesus is constructing for us with this parable. Does that make sense at all? Okay, it kind of does. Okay, good. Um, so let's begin. Let's, let's, uh, let's build our campsite here. Look with me at verse 25. It says this. 
Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a very good question, right? Asked, uh, asked in the right way, this is, this is the most important question you can ask. What shall I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Uh, but this is not a genuine question, is it? He says he's trying to test Jesus. And so Jesus responds to this test like he often does with a question of his own. Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And I love that answer. There's something very profound in that answer for us. Uh, Let's think about who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He's eternally preexistent with God from the very beginning, from before the beginning. All things created through him and for him. He's holding all things together. And now the Son of God has come to earth. The Son of God, presumably, you would agree with me, has all the answers, right? You, he he knows, uh, knows the answers to every question. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And, uh, and he's come to earth and this lawyer has test, is testing him. He's asked the single most important question you can ask. And what is Jesus' response? What does the Bible say? How do you read it? And I love that. Because what that does is that just solidifies in my mind that the Bible is the word of God. Jesus didn't come uh, because the word of God was inadequate, right? He doesn't need to add to it here. He's just saying, you have my word already. What, what does it say? And, uh, and this is maybe a little bit of an aside from where we're going with this whole sermon, but this should just be an, an encouragement to you because I don't know about you, I've certainly felt like, man, I just wish it was like Jesus was right here so I could ask him this question, right? You ever felt that before? Like I have something in my life, just like if Jesus was here, I'd just ask him and he could just tell me what I'm supposed to know. And I think... Uh, this answers for us what his answer would be, whatever question you would ask him, right? You ask him a question, what's he going to say? What does my word say, right? How do you read it? And uh, that doesn't mean his word is always easy to understand, okay? Don't get me wrong. It can be difficult to understand. It takes a lifetime of reading and rereading and studying and listening to other teachers and preachers and, uh, and learning what his word says. But, but what it should help us see is we don't need anything else. And praise God for that. We have his word. And so no matter what question you bring to Jesus, even this morning... I know his answer to you is going to be, well, what does my word say? How do you read it? So I just want to challenge you this morning, church. Like, uh, go to his word. And if you don't understand it, that's, that's okay, right? Uh, there's a lot of it that can be very difficult to understand. Uh, go to someone who can help explain it to you. Uh, but uh, I love that. Jesus says, what does my word say? That's a beautiful thing right at the beginning of the story. But that was for free because that's not really what this parable is about, okay? So that's just a little bonus, a little Memorial Day weekend bonus for you. Uh, back to the story. This is the lawyer's answer is fascinating to me. How does he sum up the whole law? He answered, verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. 
and your neighbor as yourself. Who does that sound like? Jesus was mumbled from the congregation. Yeah, Jesus said that. Did, church, did Jesus say that? Okay, very good. We're all here this morning. That's what Jesus said when he was asked what? What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is doing is he's, ascent, he's combining Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus chapter 19 and kind of smushing them together and saying, in this is the entirety of the law. And that is, uh, there's only two people in the Gospels who combine those two things together. It's Jesus and this lawyer right here in Luke chapter 10. So where did he come up with that? Because this is not, as far as we know, it's not like these things were commonly taught together. In fact, we wouldn't expect them to be taught together because it was so surprising when Jesus combined these two commandments, you see what I'm saying, to explain the whole law. And so here's my best guess as to what's happening, was that he's a lawyer. And at least nowadays, lawyers are taught what? You never ask a question you don't know the answer to. And so I think he's probably heard Jesus say this before, and uh, he was expecting Jesus to give that answer. When Jesus throws it back to him, the lawyer says what he would expect Jesus to say. And so Jesus' response, that's exactly right. Just do this, and you will live. Just love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly, and you're good to go. Now, uh, how does that answer feel to you right now? Not great, right? Nobody, and, and there's got to be something going on because nobody who was just baptized, when we said, why do you want to be baptized? I said, well, I'm loving God perfectly and loving my neighbor perfectly, and so I think I'm ready to do this thing, right? No, right? So something's up. The lawyer knows that. And so he asks his second follow-up question that is really, I think, his first question all along. He's trying to figure out, what are you saying, Jesus? Who is my neighbor? What's your text say? It says, desiring to what? Justify himself, right? What's he trying to do? He's trying to put a limit on who he's got to love. I don't want to have to love to, I don't want to love anyone and not get credit for it. You see what I mean? <laughs> if you, uh, maybe you, you have a teenage kid and you said, if you get good grades, I'm turning 16, if you get good grades this year, I'll buy you a car. What's their first question going to be? What do you mean by good? <laughs> Let's define, do you mean an A minus, B plus, I think B minus is pretty good, mom, dad, right? Like, we want to know exactly what you mean by, we want to put the line right there, and, and I'm not going to go above and beyond by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, this is what we all do all the time. So we can't uh, get too upset with the lawyer here for asking that question. If he, if, if he genuinely believed that Jesus was saying you have to love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly, it's a question. Wh what do you even mean by that? And so what does Jesus do to answer this question? He tells a story, doesn't he? And he says this. I'm going to look at this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. 
leaving him half dead. So he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as my reading uh, this week in commentaries, it just talked about that this was pretty common occurrence on this road. This road was known to be pretty dangerous, and uh, what was also common was that uh, priests, priests and Levites would travel on this road because they lived in Jericho, and they'd go up to Jerusalem to work a week or two stint in the temple, and then they would come back down uh, to where they lived in Jericho. So uh, this uh, man was um, robbed and beaten, and he had his possessions taken away. Um, but he's pretty lucky because uh, it just so happens that this priest's two-week stint is up, and so he happens to be walking down this road at the same time. And so he's lucky because of that. He's also lucky because the priest is exactly the kind of person that you would uh, expect to help. Priests were wealthy, and so he would actually have been able to give him transportation. Like this, he's coming along with a, I don't know, a camel or something. He's, he's, he would have been able to give him transportation uh, to where he needed to go. So this is an incredible stroke of luck, even though he's just had something incredibly unlucky happen to him. Now his incredible stroke of luck has happened because the priest is coming on the road. And uh, what happens? The priest does what? Crosses over to the other side, right? Maybe pretends it doesn't see. I don't know. But uh, he crosses over to the other side. And so the, the priest fails to do what he should have been able to do, which is uh, to transport him there. And, uh, but that's okay, because he wasn't the only one, right? So we're 0 for 1. But now we have who? A Levite. What's well, a Levite? Levites were people who would help the priests, like the priest assistants. And so he was probably also just finishing up his two-week stint. He's a little bit behind the priest. And so he's heading down home to Jericho as well. And uh, this would have been somebody who would have been perfectly capable of, at the very least, binding up this man's wounds so he wouldn't just continue to bleed and die right there on the side of the road. And uh, what does the Levite do? Uh, fails again, right? Cross over to the other side of the road. Maybe he's thinking, well, the priest didn't do anything, and I don't want to show him up, and so he, anyways, whatever. He crosses over to the side of the road. So you see what's happening. We have a priest cross over the side of the road, Levite cross over to the side of the road, and this is where the story goes completely off the rails, and this is where we don't really hear it this way because we don't live back in that culture back then, but this is nuts what happens next because what was very common, and you can see this all over in the Old Testament, uh, you talk about three groups of people all together. A priest, a Levite, and all the people, right? So all over the Old Testament, you see priests, Levites, and all the people. Priests, Levites, and all the people. It's like Goldilocks and the three bears, right? Papa bear, mama bear, who's going to be next in the story? Baby bear. Except it's not baby bear. It's like a giraffe shows up in the middle of Goldilocks and the three bears. Like that's kind of how we need to feel the force of what happens here. It's a Samaritan that shows up. And uh, Samaritans, you may know if you've studied this before, uh, didn't get along with Jewish people and vice versa. These were enemies. They did not like each other at all. And uh, that, uh, they, let's just say the Jewish people, uh, they didn't have any ministries called Samaritan's Purse, right? We have, we have good Samaritan laws, I think, in uh, Indiana. Somebody told me that. Like, we're, there's, no, uh, there's no good Samaritan laws in, uh, in ancient uh, uh, back then because uh, there were no good Samaritans. You see what I'm saying? Uh, we've lost the force of this a little bit, um, but uh, this was crazy 
what happened in uh, the story. And that, what makes, uh, that makes this even all the more unthinkable because he does what the priest and the Levite failed to do, which is he saw him and he had what? Compassion, mercy, right? He sees him and he has compassion. In the climax of the story, the Samaritan doesn't go to the other side. He goes to him. He has compassion, and his compassion drives him to action. So he binds up the wounds of this man, which is the Levite's failure. You see this? And then not only that, he transports him, which is the priest's failure to safety. And then he undoes what the robbers did, which is he restores his possessions. He gives uh, two days' worth of wages to the innkeeper and says, if there's anything else, I'm going to come back and take care of that. And that's actually a really big deal because this man had lost everything. And so even if he takes him to the inn and, uh, and gets him all better, now the, the man has another problem, which is he's in slavery to this innkeeper because when you couldn't pay your debts, you were uh, put into slavery. And so he undoes what everyone, everyone's mistakes, you see the good Samaritan undoes it all. You kind of see this little, uh, this little movement here in the story. His possessions are taken away, the priest fails him, the Levite fails him. But right at the climax, this Samaritan sees him and has compassion. And so he binds up the wounds, he transports him, and he restores what was lost. And uh, this is unthinkable. Who goes out of their way to do all this for a stranger? A neighbor. And that's Jesus' point. Look at what he asked the lawyer at the end. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because if you've been paying attention, the lawyer didn't ask him, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? He says, who do I need to be a neighbor to? And Jesus says, I'm not even going to answer that question. I'm going to ask you a totally different question, which is the real question you need to think about, which is who was a neighbor in the story? What does it look like to be a neighbor? So who was the neighbor in the story? Obviously, the Samaritan. I love how the lawyer, he can't even bring himself to say it, can he? Right? It's like, like a kid being forced to apologize to his brother. Who showed him, who was the neighbor in the story? The one who showed him mercy. Right? You can't even say the Samaritan, right? It's the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and be a neighbor like that. Don't worry about who your neighbor is. Worry about how to be one. And I don't know about you, but that is convicting to me. Because in my heart... I feel myself being more like the priest and the Levite, unless it's just like really expected, right? I want to know the rules. I want to know what's expected of me, and I'll just do what's expected of me. And Jesus says, don't think like that. Go and do likewise. Don't focus on who you need to be a neighbor to. Focus on just being the best neighbor that you can be. Go and do the same. And that's a convicting story, and it's challenging, and it challenges us to think about who are the people that are like on opposite sides of who I would ever expect uh, to be a neighbor to, right? It challenges us to think uh, across like racial, ethnic lines and, uh, and um, 
cultural lines and, uh, and societal lines and class lines. And it forces us to think about what does it mean when I see someone, what's going through my head, and am I mentally on this side of the road or am I mentally going and binding their wounds and caring for them. And that's, that's convicting, and that should convict us all. Um, but that is only part of the story. And that's why we need to kind of camp out and live in this house for a little while. Because there's a, there are a couple things, as I studied this, that I just I couldn't get out of my head. And there was one question in particular that drove me nuts, and all week I couldn't figure it out. And I read and read and studied, and I was like deep in like the academic journals, which if I'm there on a Thursday, you know it's not good for Pastor Mike uh, come Sunday. Like this was, I, could, I couldn't find the answer. But the question that I had was, if Jesus, I want you to listen to me on this. If Jesus is only trying to teach about being a neighbor to someone unlike you and how you're obligated to more people than you realize, why was the Samaritan the good guy and not the guy on the side of the road? Does that make sense? That would make so much more sense to me if he's telling a story and it's the Samaritan that is on the side of the road. And so, of course, the priest isn't going to care for him because that's not his job. And, of course, the Levite isn't going to care for him. But the, 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 the good Jewish layperson did care for him because that's really what you're supposed to do as a neighbor. It's actually way more than you thought it was before. That story makes sense to me. This one doesn't. Why is the Samaritan the hero of the story, specifically as he's talking to this lawyer and the crowd that was listening? And after reading and reading and studying, I finally found somebody who addressed this question. And I think it it boils down to this. When you're reading a story, you are often putting yourself in the place of someone in that story, aren't you? Even as I've been talking about the Good Samaritan story, you've all been thinking about how can I be like the Samaritan? Unless you've been thinking about what you're going to be, you know, grilling brats after church, but hopefully you've been thinking about this passage and how can I be like the Samaritan? That would have been impossible for this lawyer to think about because he could not compare himself to a Samaritan. It, 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 it wouldn't have been possible. And so as he's talking to this lawyer, think about where the lawyer could fit himself in the story. A priest? No, he can't relate to being a priest. A Levite? No, he can't relate to being a Levite. A Samaritan? Heck no. <laughs> Who does that leave? The guy on the side of the road. Man, our mumbled answers are spot on this morning. The guy on the side of the road. You see how that's super profound? Because now, what becomes the question? If I'm that guy who's been robbed and beaten and I'm half dead, how am I going to feel when I see that priest come and walk on by? When I see that Levite come and walk on by, and now it's a Samaritan, what am I thinking about that Samaritan? I need help. <laughs> That's it. I want him to help me. I need him to save me. I'm going to die if he doesn't. So what is Jesus telling him? 
what it means, this is cool, to love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. What would I want if I was in that situation? Do to others what you would have them do unto you. Somebody said that. I think it was Jesus. So now, in the same way, we kind of need to think about this story different. Because my whole life, I've just thought about this story like, okay, well, how can I be the good Samaritan? And that's kind of it. That's, that's part of it, right? But it's just not the whole thing. <laughs> because there's a whole other element, which is what happens if I'm in that situation, right? This man didn't do anything to bring it on himself. Sometimes we can just get in an attitude of pride of like, well, I just wouldn't ever let that happen to me. I would never find myself in a situation of need. So I can't possibly relate to that. Well, that's called pride, and that is a sin. So don't go there. Think about what would I want if I'm in that situation. And so it forces us now to think about neighboring in a completely different way, doesn't it? Put yourself in the shoes of your neighbor, whoever that is. And say, well, if that was me, what would I want? That's powerful and convicting. And you're going to have to work that out, what that means. But here's the thing. Is that still not, that's not the only question that was bothering me. There was something else about this passage that was, uh, man, I just couldn't get out of my head. And that was as I was reading, I uh, came across this phrase and it reminded me, it was almost word for word of something we came across last week in the parable of the prodigal son. I don't know if you noticed it. It's right in the climax. It's on your screen. The Samaritan did what? Saw him and had compassion. And a, something clicked in my brain. Wait a second. When the father sees the son coming home, what happens in his heart? He has compassion. And so I did. This sermon is a whole lot about just like my own preparation this week. But I just want you to know my journey that I took. So I did what you should do when you're kind of trying to figure out a word and, and what it means in the context of Scripture. And I just looked up all the other instances of that verb, compassion, uh, in, in that particular Greek uh, form. And it's only in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it only refers to uh, one person ever, which is Jesus. Over and over again, we see in the Gospels, you see Jesus sees a crowd, and he has compassion in the feeding of the 5,000 because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He sees the blind, and he has compassion, and he restores their sight. He saw a widow's son sick, and he has compassion. In the parable of the unforgiving servant, the master sees the servant who owes him this incredible debt, and he has compassion. Same word. The parable of the prodigal's son. The father sees him and has compassion. And this is the only time. Jesus doesn't command us to have compassion. He never says, you have compassion on those as I've had compassion on you or anything like that. This is the only time that this word would be used where you might think it doesn't refer to Jesus, which means that it probably does. 
And so how do we think about this story now in its fullness? Well, who's the best neighbor? Jesus. What does Jesus do when he sees his people on the side of the road? He has compassion. And then at great personal cost, he approaches them, right? When Jesus came to earth, great personal cost, and he binds up their wounds, and he takes care of their debts. Oh, man. So now it's like one layer deeper in this story. Not only should we think about, well, what would I want if that was me on the side of the road? Now we're forced to reckon with the fact that was me. And Jesus didn't pass by. Who did? The priests and the Levites. The people that, this is, this is another thing. It's not the Pharisees that passed by. Wouldn't you expect that as you think about the teaching of Jesus? That it would be the Pharisees that passed by? It wasn't. It was the priests and the Levites. Priests and Levites were sent to take care of God's people. But they couldn't do what Jesus did. So Jesus compensates for the failure of man. Jesus sees you and has compassion. And he treats your wounds. And he takes you to safety. And he pays your debts. And so now I think that was me. And look what Jesus, the best neighbor, did. So now, church, I can go and do likewise. That's how we have to think about this parable. There's so many times, I probably just missed this in, in, in the past. I know I've missed it in the past. There's so many times I hear, think about, read this parable or, or hear it preached or something, and I like notice homeless people more for a couple weeks, and then I'm just right back to life as normal, right? And relate to that. What does it mean to think about myself by this time actually my own fault completely helpless, left for dead. And Jesus came and approached me. And so now we're called to go and do likewise. And this is where I just leave it to you, church. I could give you a million examples of what it looks like to go and do likewise, but really that's you and the Lord. We've talked about as a church that we are, uh, we're working hard on what does it mean for us as a church to, to go and do likewise, to love our neighbor as ourself. And we have two, two teams of people that are working on this right now. We have the benevolence team. We think about actually this parable, it makes a lot of sense. We have the, the neighbor's benevolence team. What is it, how do we best love the people that we have seen on the side of the road and need compassion? And what does real compassion look like? And that's a whole nother challenge, right? And then we have a, a, an outreach team that has just started that's, that's whole purpose is how do I equip our church to do this well, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But it has to start from the gospel, church. It doesn't just come because, oh, look at us. We're just, we just have just more compassion than other people. We just muster it up in ourselves. No, it's because what happened to that man on the side of the road happened to me and a stranger came and I, don't, I, didn't, I wasn't even conscious for the thing. I was half dead, but a stranger came and he bound my wounds and he took me to safety and here I am and how can I not do the same for my neighbor in need? Amen? So go and do likewise, church. What does that mean? Well, that's for you 
to figure out. It's a good conversation for you to have uh, with your family, with your life group, with those who are a part of your life. What does it mean for me to go and do likewise? I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that uh, we can't just pass by on the other side of the road because that's not what Jesus did when he saw you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. You would have been right and justified to leave us on the side of the road and dead in our sin and trespasses. Um, but instead, you made us alive together with Christ, and it's by grace that we have been saved. So that whole question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is wrong, God. But the question is, what must I do now that I have? And the answer is to be like Jesus. So God, help us to love our neighbors like ourselves. Help us to treat others like we want to be treated. Forgive us for those times we have passed by, hard-hearted on the other side, worried about other things. We thank you that Jesus didn't do that for us. What a, what a grace, what a privilege. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.